Ellisol Chit Chats aims to make information available for everyone. The podcast transcripts are on ellisolchitchats.wordpress.com for the hearing impaired and those who'd like to read instead. Thank you for engaging. You would not believe how many times I've considered deleting my Netflix account. Netflix was great to have if you loved films and series once upon a time. Especially if you had nowhere else to watch except on DSTV or SABC. You can choose from a variety instead of what someone else has chosen what you will be watching on Sunday at 8pm. Hi, my name is Renith and welcome to Elisil Chit Chats. So, Netflix is... You know, a world full of things to watch, but for a long time now, I felt like I had nothing to watch. I usually find a series and stick to that for a while, but with Netflix, they tend to have the best shows always be the shortest. Some are 8 episodes long with maybe 28 minutes per episode, and that's a bit sad, but I suppose it keeps you searching for more to watch, hoping for more. Like, except for that... You'd get the top 10 list and hope that it will be something worthwhile. Only to find out that these shows or films are only in the top 10 because they are the most talked about. People watch out of curiosity sometimes and because everyone watched this, you might be interested in watching this. Let us not be deceived, sometimes networks and streaming services profit off of FOMO. That's why substanceless <laughs> shows and films pop up in your recommendations all the time. Obviously, not all of the recommendations are bad, they are good ones. But there is also the aspect of the algorithm that supposedly works in your favor by recommending what you would most likely watch. This thing is faulty because A, just because I watched a romantic comedy does not mean I'd want romantic comedies all over my profile. And B, you keep getting hit with the same kind of films that you miss treasures that you might find yourself liking even if they were not what you would most likely watch. But no, there are nothingnesses, as in nothing meaningful happens in these productions. I, I know it sounds a bit too strong to say they are nothingnesses, but they mean nothing. Nothing happens, like you don't think about that afterwards really. These things just exist. And they make money for existing, even if they don't serve any purpose whatsoever. And one of these nothingnesses, or, or one of these meaningless productions that popped up on my Netflix was um, <clears throat> 365 days. <laughs> Would you still like to listen? Okay, great. Moving on. <laughs> Disclaimer. Age restriction, 18 everything, red banner, warnings. I did warn you, don't don't say I never warned you. This week on The Audience Perspective. So, I first want to start by telling you that before watching this film, I heard a lot about it. I heard it being compared to Fifty Shades, but that was it. Whether the film was good or bad, I had no idea. I just wanted to get it out of the way because it kept popping up. Weirdly enough, I never read the synopsis, which I always do, but I guess it shows that I actually had no interest in watching this film. I also never saw the trailer or read or listened or watched any commentary before I clicked play. I went into this completely clueless. So I watched for a second and... 
And then I stopped the phone because I just wasn't in the mood for a mafia movie. And in that first scene, I was bored already. Because algorithm. What made you think I would ever want to watch a mafia film? Definitely not me. But I gave it a try a week later because I just finished watching a series and I wasn't in the mood to start another one. So I watched this film. And was I glad because I had a good old time watching 365 days. I've never told myself not to laugh this much. And this was a, like this was a serious film, damn it. And I should take it seriously. The 365 Days is about Laura Biel, a young woman who gets kidnapped by Don Massimo Toracelli. Did you hear that accent? <laughs> Can someone hire me? <laughs> so he's a Don. That means Lord. So he's Lord Massimo. Can only imagine what this person was thinking writing this. Of course he's a Don. Anyway, so Massimo kidnaps and imprisons Laura and tells her that he's giving her 365 days to fall in love with him. If this has not happened by next year, then she is free to go. Does that not sound familiar-ish? So this was obviously not just some random woman he picked. He says that hers was the face that he saw as he lay almost dying when he was shot in that mafia scene. As I remember the mafia scene, it was actually some man who worked for him. But okay, let's try to make it make sense in that world. Massimo was looking at Laura through binoculars. So possibly as he lay almost dying, she was the last thing that he was thinking about. Your dad just died and you're thinking about the girl on the beach. Okay, I'm done. I'm done judging. <laughs> So anyway, this is why Laura is so important to him. He could consider her to be his guardian angel, which if they described it that way, be able to make the movie a little less creepy and make the story make more sense. So here are some thoughts. So proud of myself. They have headaches. <laughs> so the mafia thing. First things first. The writers started this very poorly in relation to the whole plot. With the way it establishes... Massimo as part of this mafia and his dad saying that one day Massimo will inherit all of this family business and that he should forget about fun and pleasure. I genuinely thought this was going to involve him choosing between the business and the girl. There are these undertones throughout with this man. I don't know who he is, but he works for the family. Doesn't seem to approve of Massimo's shenanigans. But it keeps getting brushed off by Massimo until somehow it gets into play again into the end. This is what they did with After We Collided, introducing Tessa's dad in the beginning. You don't hear from him throughout the entire film until he shows up at the end and you're like, Oh wow, you were important? Because they don't say it's Tessa's dad in the beginning, it's just this random dude. And he doesn't serve any purpose in After 2, but it is implied that he will be a big part of the plot in After 3. Which is called After We Fell. I saw the trailer just before I recorded this, actually. And the dad wasn't in the trailer. <laughs> this is not about After. <laughs> A heart from establishing uh, Massimo's status, I'm guessing that this is what they were trying to do here as well. The mafia thing will only be important in 365 days 2 or whatever it'll be called. However, it 
it still does not explain the next scene cross-cutting between Laura and Massimo's meetings with the billion accents. I have never heard this many accents in one scene before. <laughs> you think that these businesses will be an important part of the film because they are long and dramatic. But you could also read it as establishing Laura as someone who is Massimo's equal. And I think this was done unintentionally because she clearly isn't. She's shown as this powerful, badass, hardcore, won't take sexist comments type of woman. A woman who stands her ground. However, her character goes against the grain of that at some parts of the film. She's just... Ugh. In terms of the scene, I think it was just like for cinematic purposes that they showed the colors, you know, contrasted it and showed the whole thing for the look and not what they're trying to say. And this brings me to my second point. Some of these scenes look like they should be in a music video. <laughs> you could play the very songs in this film over the scenes and it would be a music video. Did I mention that Michele Moroni sings a majority of the film soundtrack? Michele Moroni is Massimo. That's fitting. <laughs> This meeting scene was just that, along with the next scenes which they still continue to do a crosscut between what Laura is doing and what Massimo is up to. At one point she is in a car taking a video touching her bra and in Massimo's scene he's looking at Anna, his ex or I guess girlfriend at the time on his phone and she's also in her bra. So that was a bit confusing because I thought it was Laura. Anna is brunette in these videos, but when she shows up in person, she's blonde. So I think you can see how I mistook, mistook her for Laura, right? But let me go deeper into this analysis. Because Anna knew about Massimo's obsession with Laura, maybe she dyed her hair brunette so she could at least try to live up to the woman of Massimo's dreams. Continuing the music video, Laura goes home and gets rejected by a partner Martin who keeps mentioning her weak heart. Massimo on the other side is on his private jet. He gets mad because someone stole his coke, which is never mentioned again, by the way. And then he assaults the poor air hostess while Laura is pleasuring herself, which, by the way, there will be a lot of by the ways here. It's very uncomfortable to watch. Attractive for who? A lot of this film is supposed to be attractive, but it really isn't. Either there is something to gag at, or it is just freaking creepy that you get mad at the people who made it because WTF. Some images are sexy, you know, but because you know what is going on, it immediately throws the sexiness out of the window because you realize that the whole film is disturbing. It can't possibly be appealing to see a woman being treated like an object or ever feeling like they are a little girl with their partner. There is a very thick line between feeling like you can be safe while vulnerable with your partner and feeling like a little girl. It's icky. But you know that reaction you get when you hear something so cringe, it just automatically makes you make that gagging sound. Are you lost, baby girl? <laughs> This is said three times in the film. Is it going to be said in the other films too? This is the equivalent of Later's Baby, right? Do you know I only noticed how attractive Michele Moroni is after I saw this film? It was while I was doing research. Um, 
I couldn't see it. It wasn't there throughout the film for me. Even when I watched it again so that I could do this episode, it all disappeared. I think about the show you what you're missing scene and that face he pulls. <laughs> I just want to punch him because it's. Ugh. Maybe if he plays a nice guy, I'll find him attractive. Here, he is just creepy and annoying, and so is she. The characters are just appalling. So they're playing Massimo off as if he's Laura's savior. He's supposed to be more attractive, you know, the more attractive love interest for her. And I don't mean attractive as in physically. I'm not that shallow. <laughs> But <laughs> even in the plot description on Wikipedia, they say she is in a spiritless relationship and she falls for a dominant Sicilian man. Watch, that sounds so sexy. So the spiritless relationship justifies why she should be with Massimo instead of Martin. Martin does not pay attention to her whatsoever. This is somehow supposed to make Laura susceptible to falling in love with Massimo because even better, he is obsessed with her. She has more attention than Martin could ever give her. Martin also keeps mentioning that Laura has、um, a weak heart. He treats her like she's fragile, so that leads to her love life being spiritless and unadventurous. So of course, let's bring in the big guns to have the excitement that she's been missing. Let's get her kidnapped. Massimo even indirectly called it an adventure, <sighs> and this brings me to the script. I would laugh if I had to deliver some of these lines. I sound so mean. But honestly, like these lines, like it makes me sad to think that actors are working just like ordinary people. And sometimes, especially in the film industry, you feel like you have to go with what you are given because it pays. I don't mean you take just anything. I'm not trying to be dark. Your agency isn't taken away, but you know these are the realities of certain people. And I like to think of it this way, which probably is wrong on my end. But I do like to think that people do read scripts and they're like, "What is this line?" They say that actors might have more experience in films than, say, the director or the screenwriter, because I might write the script, but it just can't be doable, or the actor can't make it sound real, even if they're the best actor on earth. A crappy script is a crappy script, and an actor having gone through tons of scripts would know that. Sometimes I watch these things, and I just want to ask the actors, "How do you feel saying this line? Does it make sense to you?" <laughs> But those lines, the whole thing was dramatic. The scene where. Laura is finally let out of the bedroom, and then she tries to escape, but meets her portrait, which just—it gave me soap opera-esque vibes. Dead. <laughs> That killed me. I couldn't take it seriously. What am I doing to myself? So this way, I decided to keep watching. <laughs> Going back to Martin versus Massimo. I like how Laura first says to Massimo that she has a wife, she is in property, she has a boyfriend, and I rooted for that. Yes, girl. Obviously, we're not taking this nonsense. This is a crime. And no, neither Martin nor Massimo are good choices for Laura. Not that she has to have choices. She can be an independent woman without a man. But because we've already mentioned why Martin is not, 
the whole film is all the reasons why Massimo can never be the acceptable choice. He doesn't have a moral compass in his body, and if he does, the thing doesn't work. He kills a guy for human trafficking children. Human trafficking is disgusting to him, but no, 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 no. The great Massimo does not see his own crime in capturing an innocent woman, imprisoning her, being a creep psychologically and physically abusing her, and just being a terrible person all around who thinks he can decide who lives. What exactly was the human trafficking part mentioned for? Was that to get us to like him? We don't like him at all, and we started not to like her either. That Laura is an infuriating woman. I don't understand her character. She was reluctant in being held hostage, and then there is a really uncomfortable scene in a dressing room at a lingerie shop where Massimo comes in and she tells him to get out. He refuses, so she seductively walks up to him. She says he'll never get to see her in this underwear, and then he gets angry. After accepting her fate, she turns into this person who kind of leads Massimo on. And then snogs and rejects him. This goes on and on. Like the more she does it, the more violent he gets. And this is dangerous. Like, stop it! What are you doing? And then it later dawned on me that these scenes are supposed to be—they're supposed to build up the sexual tension in the film, definitely between the two of them, and not between the audience and the film, because. <laughs> You can't ignore the context of the whole film just because something looks sexy. But also, had this been a different storyline, they had what could have easily been the sexiest scene in the whole film to do the things. It all fell flat because Laura was playing games again. Instead, where the things come from is when she almost drowns, and then he saves her because he is so worried, and she suddenly feels like he is her hero. And the last lead up to the things is that emoji with the thin lines for eyes and mouth. It was distasteful. Also, I lost all respect for Laura at this point because she raises an important point about the woman being blamed for how a man treats her, and then she rewards Massimo. You know. I understand that films don't always have to mean anything, and that they can be for entertainment, which I think 365 Days is supposed to be. It's supposed to lead you into the fantasies of your wildest dreams, right? Sometimes those dreams involve a bad boy, like after. But bad boys don't mean you have to lose yourself or your morals and values. Have you met Veronica from The Heather's? But I guess you can argue that baby girl here <laughs> has a deep case of Stockholm syndrome. So that is why she's suddenly in love with Massimo. I forgot to mention this, but Massimo pays attention to her, and then he sends her away without any word. So I don't know if this ever counts, but I think because he stopped paying attention to her, then she kind of felt like, and this is where the Stockholm syndrome plays. He let her go, and. When he came back, she was so emotional. She was in love with him because she felt he was missing. Because she genuinely felt she loved him, but in like psychologically, she was just screwed up by the fact that he wasn't there anymore. 
So I also get that this movie is a fantasy, like a sexual fantasy, but not everyone will watch it like that. In fact, the majority of the people that watched 365 Days gave it a backlash that it romanticizes rape. It's disgusting. <laughs> and they also believe it to be softcore porn, which it is. I don't think I've seen sexy time scenes like this. This was in your face. Borderline showing everything. All I could think about was, if they're trying to sell this fantasy, why can't the fantasy be that you are in a loving relationship that has its flaws, as to all relationships, but you can still have a wild sex life? Something that shows BDSM with consent between people who love each other but do not emotionally or physically abuse each other outside of the bedroom. But this was supposed to be sexy. It's like sexy completely distorted. People were romanticizing toxic relationships at some point. Now it crossed over the lines because of this. Like how bad can it get from now on? But talking about the algorithms of, you know, things that are most you are most likely to watch, I want to show how flawed this AI is. I would never watch or read something like this, honestly. Not during Shade, um, but also like if it was a different story, I, I wouldn't watch it. It's not my taste, which is like, a, this is a bit too far removed from what brought on this recommendation. And also because these things are popping up, I feel like many treasures remain buried. There are so many good films that mean something that we don't know about. You have to go look for them. Maybe they're just mindless watching films that have a better story. And how can a number one film be something this bad? We can go on and on and on and complain about these things. The fact of the matter is there's someone who said yes to doing this thing. Let's do this. Let's make money. I get selling sex, but this is just... <laughs> you know, it becomes hard to keep filmmaking on a pedestal if we keep making things by the numbers and not by meaning. Even if you are making something just for entertainment, it can't be isolated. You have to know what people would find entertaining, right? I guess that also becomes dangerous because people are sick <laughs> out there. But it's 2021, I think the universal morals and values are a bit clearer now, especially when it comes to boundaries. We are a stricter society in terms of loving and or respecting each other. But it also makes me sad that although I appreciate the art, and I appreciate someone working hard to make this film, it turned out to be this. It could have been this film with a better story. But it is what it is. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening if you're new here. Thank you for coming back if you're a regular. Please like and subscribe to the podcast for more. Visit our socials and our website and my blog if you would like to. I bid you a fantastic weekend. I'll be with you next week and I'm out. Take care of yourself, Seeds. Hi, Raineth here. Around the time that I started my podcast, I was told by someone that they wanted to start a podcast too, but they didn't know how. Well, it has never been this easy to share your thoughts with the world. Certainly not in limited characters anyway. I joined Buzzsprouts because I wanted a podcast-friendly environment that will have the work that I do with every episode. I'm not looking back. Buzzsprouts is home to 100,000 podcasters. It's an ideal choice because not only do they give you detailed analytics to show how your podcast is doing, 
they'll give you tools to promote your episodes and an easily accessible podcast website where anyone can listen to your podcast. And because they think of your listeners' needs as well, the website will have a directory of where your episodes are available as well. If you'd like to try your hand at podcasting, Buzzsprout is an option to consider. You can use the link in our description to check it out. You will get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and in addition, help support our show.